believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it has everything I need. Yes, it does. Last week, we, we left Matthew saying to the, uh, the audience, to the disciples, that the harvest is ripe. Oh, there's so many, so many people that need this message, but there's very few workers who are willing to go out there and do it. And we were talking about that. We always thought that was kind of a sending missionaries out to the foreign field kind of verse. And that is a verse he's speaking to each and every one of us. He wants us to go into our little part of the world and and to be able to not be ashamed. And you're going to see these messages come out in this lesson. It just continues. So he called his 12 disciples to him and gave them the authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, he is calling them disciples in the first verse, and then he gives them the authority. And I asked you the question, why did he have to give them the authority to be able to do all those miraculous things? Why did he have to give them the authority? Would they have been able to do it otherwise? Not a chance. No. So he gave them the authority. And they're disciples, which means follower of Christ. But then look in the second verse. These are the names of the 12 apostles. So you see the 12 apostles, which means now they are being sent out. They're going to be, they're going out into the harvest that's ripe. They're going to be one of the few chosen workers. They're, they're one of them that dare go out and tell the story of Jesus. So that's what apostle means, to be sent out. And I kind of was wondering, you know, when I looked at that, and they were able to heal sick and raise the dead and cleanse those with leprosy, and I thought, oh, I wish I could do that for people. And then I thought, oh, he has, he has so stretched us now. Remember back then, he was bringing in a whole new new era of of. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that's been promised for hundreds of years. And that's going to take a while to convince people of that. And so he's getting their attention so that then he can teach and preach and prove who he is. But then I thought, now we have seen that there's so much more to physical healing. There, there is so much more healing to me, at least since I've really gotten into this. Physical healing is, is kind of almost minor. I can't believe I'm saying that, but physical healing is almost minor compared to what I've watched, what real healing is. After we've heard, you know, about uh, he has healed all our diseases and he, he, has, he has picked up all of our iniquities and he's, he's carried our infirmities and the diseases. And, and all of a sudden, I realized that what is the worst infirmity? What's the worst disease? Sin and self. It is the worst. And the thing is, I do have the authority. You do have the authority to be able to heal people. Because he has done it all. And because of what he has done, we can give that story out and we can heal people of their deepest infirmities, their deepest sicknesses, their deepest disease. Because what do we learn from James? This life is just a mist here today, gone for tomorrow. What do we know about our eternal life? We talk about forever, what that means forever. And you're going to hear him say, I would, you know, like he said, I think 
10, chapter 10 is a combination of what we've studied. I don't think chapter 10's instruction could have been Matthew 2 or 4 or even 6 or 8. We needed all the previous lessons to be able to get to this point. How we need to look at our heart, that our heart is what we need to be working on. So now as he, he, he read these verses, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or any town of the Samaritans. Now we know that when Jesus leaves this earth, he commissions and says, you know, go to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost. But right now he says, I want you to stay right here with your own people, with, with, the, with the lost sheep of Israel. So what can we learn from that? Where, where does Jesus say that your and my biggest and most important ministry is, and it better be right on the money or there's no point of sending you out? Where is he saying? Where is our most important ministry? Right here, right in our own homes with the people closest to us. And it makes perfect sense to me where he says, if you, and who's going to know you more? Who's going to know you better? Who's going to be able to see changes in you more than the people who know you better? And he's saying, I want you to stick to right here because this is where it counts the most as far as what he's concerned. And then he says, and then I will send you out because then you are ready. So to me, this makes perfect sense where he says, I want you to realize your greatest ministry is smack dab right where you're at. With people that see you all the time, that know you so well, that know when it's just a, a maybe an act or whether it's, it's the real deal because they're watching it happen in you. Every now and then, I will, I will ask Tom and Jen, Jason, I will just randomly say, well, do you see any changes in me? I really do. I really ask them that. And sometimes I get good answers. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> but I think who knows me and sees me and better than those three men? And I want to make sure that they see me growing and moving forward. And, and, um, and uh, so this made sense to me. Start right where you're at. Make sure that you're real, that those who know you best can see these changes. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. Here's the message. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. And, and to, to see Jesus when he says that with such joy because what, what's been promised, what's been needed. Uh, I keep thinking that, proclaim, proclaim that the kingdom is here. Your savior, your redemption, he, he's here. And, and tell him that's the greatest news there is. Every one of us needs a savior and we have one. So go and make your message be that of, yes, they've got to see themselves that, yes, they do need a Savior, but the re- rejoice. Tell them the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is ready to go to the cross and do what he had to do for you and me. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And then he said, freely you will receive 
freely you have received, freely give. And what is he talking about here? Freely you have received. That's forgiveness. That's, that is salvation. That is grace. Freely you have received undeserved favor. And you've heard a bazillion sermons. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to buy it. It is freely given to us. Just by our mere acceptance and humbling ourselves to go into the cross and admitting we need a Savior. But then he just can't wait to give it to us. Freely you have been given. So freely I want you to make sure that people know that they can have this same grace, this same forgiveness. You don't put any pressure on them because you're going to charge a bazillion dollars for, to, to be able to come and preach. Freely it's been given to you. You freely give it out. And I'm not saying this for any other reason, but to try to make a point. And I was, when we went into full-time ministry, I asked Tom, I said, I know this is going to be hard, but can we just, just not have a set price that we go out around this country and we dare say that we believe the Lord will provide that, that we can go to that little church. We can go to the bigger church. We can go wherever that we don't put a, a stipulation that you can't have us because you don't, you can't afford us or you we're not coming because you don't have that many seats in your auditorium and we need a few more that we are willing to do this. So we, can we trust the Lord enough that we don't put this kind of pressure that we come freely, we have been given freely, let's, let's give it out. And we've carried on with that. I mean, that was so, I mean, sometimes they would absolutely need a price and would try to work something out. I mean, it's not that, you know, some churches just didn't want to do, you know, free will offering or whatever. But so there was, there's exceptions. But for the most part, we, that's what we did. And every need was supplied. That's why I can stand up here with such authority and with such proof because we lived it. And I know even today I'm thinking, you know, people think I'm, oh, I know one, one time, this was years ago, there was, there was a man that we heard this rumor. They said, uh, oh, Linnell won't go out and sing unless she gets $100. Now, back then, $100 was a really lot of money. And, you know, it's just, where do people, they just make it up, you know. But anyway, I, but even today, even today, a speaking conference or anything, I just have watched the Lord supply with Bible studies. I know people think that I make a lot of money teaching Bible study, that, that the church here just pays me a lot of money. They don't pay me a dime. <laughs> and that's what, and I pay them. No, I don't. No, they're, they're, no, I don't pay them either. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a win-win. I'm grateful to be able to use this room. But, but, I mean, I think that sometimes when we look at this phrase, freely you have been given, freely give. And then, and then he goes on to say, and that's why I believe that this is the meaning of that, because he says, do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey, no extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep and you know that too is so true not for for women now come on think about that don't even take an extra anything 
Now, you know, when we go anywhere, we need an extra humpteen things. And here, but I learned this lesson for real one time that uh, the Lord wanted me to learn this. And so uh, we traveled so much. And when we went out west, we would have to fly, of course, and because I didn't want to be gone too long. So we were going to go on a 10-day tour in California. And, and I was singing at so many different kinds of things. Now, you know, I mean, you know me well enough that and it, it used to almost possess me. I mean, it was such an obsession that to wear the right thing to the right. And I just thought so much about putting this outfit together and make sure that I look just so, you know, and I would almost obsess over that. And oh, oh, by the way, let's see, what should I sing? (laughs) I mean, isn't that pathetic? I dare admit it, but I would obsess over that. Well, the Lord wanted to show me, and he gave me this great visual because I'm on my way to the to California with Tom and all our sound equipment, and I said to Tom, I, we have traveled so much, and I am sick of lugging um, this stuff through the airport. I am packing everything in one suitcase, and all I have to do is carry my purse. So for the only time I've ever done this, I borrowed my dad's big suitcase, packed everything in there, all my dresses for all the concerts. And you know how I love to accessorize. So I had all my scarves and all, not shoes, because... Because shoes, shoes, um, I, I was really clever with shoes because um, um, I wore acrylic shoes and that went with everything. And a little girl once called me Cinderella because I had glass slippers, but they were just acrylic. But, I, but they went with every color nylon and that was the day where we had colors for everything. So I didn't have to pack a lot of shoes, but a lot of clothes, a lot of accessories, packed it all in one suitcase. You know where I'm going with this. So we get there and here comes Tom's suitcase and here comes all the sound equipment and there's no big suitcase and so I go and they said oh no problem probably just got on the wrong plane we'll deliver it to you by tonight okay so then the course did come that night next day then um we're staying by our friends you know Gertie and Gertie says let's get in the car you you need a dress so we went in and I got one dress because you know it was coming the next day so um, we got a dress and we got the uh, pair of earrings to match them and we got a pair of shoes and so there was my outfit. Well, the next day it didn't come. The next day it didn't come, but we didn't, we didn't get anything more because the, it was sure going to come the next day. Well, they finally called after about four or five days into, the, into our trip and said, um, we are sorry, but it is lost. It, will, it is gone. We, we find we find no trace of it whatsoever, and so um, I, I wore the same dress, the same shoes, the same accessories to every concert that I gave in California, and it was probably the most enlightening lesson I learned. Because you know what? No one knew I was wearing the same dress because every place was different. And I didn't even have to think about it because it's the only dress I had to put on. So that is so true. The Lord didn't want these guys sidetracked, having anything taken over their mind from what they were called to do. And that's why. And he said, I will provide. In fact, I will see to it that you, you, if you're working for me, I will see to it that you're worth your keep and all needs will be met. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay in his house until you leave. 
And, and it, see, not everybody can understand this, but Tom and I sure can because, because we didn't charge. We didn't have money to stay in hotels either. And so we would ask, do you have someone in your, in your congregation that would put us up? Because a lot of times when we traveled, we wanted to get there on Saturday evenings to be there ready for Sunday. So is there someone who will take us and take us in? And oh, I mean, I have the stories. I just can't tell you. We have ever, we have lasting friendships that we have developed over this country because of people that took us in. And we would go there every time we were in that town, the same family. I mean, we stayed on farms. We stayed in, oh, I, I mean, I, I won't go into that, but so wonderful. But then I remember one in particular. There was one home that we stayed, that that one church we were going to sing at that Tom said, like he always did, is there someone in your home, in your church that would put us up for the night? And he said, well, I'll check. I'll do some checking. So he called us back later and said, no takers. No, no one would, no one would take you. It was just Tom and I coming, you know, and I said to Tom, I said, well, did you ask him? How about you? I said, yeah, Tom said, I'm not going to ask that. But I just thought the minister and his wife, and he said, sorry, no takers. Well, you know, we still went and did it, but we had to find our own place. And, um, you know, when we walked into that church that next day, it was so obvious that there was a there was a temperament there was a coldness there was something about that and so again when he says as you enter the home give it your greeting if the home is deserving let your peace rest on it if it is not let your peace return to you if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town you know, and that kind of sounds, you know, shake the dust of your feet and almost like a so there, you know, may you get what you deserve kind of attitude. But, you know, when they shook the dust from their feet, that was symbolic of saying you are responsible because you have heard. There's no way you are going to be able to say, oh, no one ever came. No one ever told me, you know. That was symbolic of making sure that these people, whether in the town or the home, they had a chance and they're responsible for saying no. So that was quite, quite something. And then he says, I tell you the truth. I hope by now you're seeing that when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I hope that you're starting to think, oh, can't wait to what, see what that is. Because you knew that it was, you know by now that it's going to be something worth you learning or something profound or something that, that's going to grab your attention because you never thought about that before. And he said, I want you to know that it is so serious if people reject this message because they don't think they need it or for whatever reason that they come up with. It is so serious because he said it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment. And we all know that story. We know how God absolutely destroyed those two cities because of their wickedness. And we probably think if someone would ever ask you, what do you think are some of the worst cities in the Bible? Well, I think we'd say Sodom and Gomorrah. But he says, I want you to know that it is, it is going to be worse for that that town or that or that home that rejects the gospel because they had the opportunity they were they they had it right there the kingdom of heaven was right there for them 
and they declined it, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day than, than this Homer town. That's how serious it is. I am sending you like a sh- like sheep among wolves. Boy, Jesus didn't uh, um, cover any or gloss over any reality, did he? I mean, he just said that this is this is not going to be easy, and there's going to be because you know what a wolf. I mean, if, if a wolf sees a sheep, I mean, it is lunch and dinner and breakfast all in one. I mean, they cannot wait, and they pounce. And, and he said, this is the way it's going to be sometime. You, you better know it, that you're going to be like a sheep, and there's going to be wolves that cannot wait to find fault. They can't wait to criticize. They can't wait to be negative. They can't wait to make up stuff about you. That's not even true. You better know that this is, this is reality. So I'm just warning you as, you as I'm sending you out. So you have to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't like a snake for anything. And so I'm thinking, could you have used any other animal than a snake? So, but no, he, he did. That was very, very good because I had to go back and I had to deprogram myself because absolutely when I think of a snake, I automatically think of who? The devil, right. And I think back of Genesis 3. But now it makes sense to me that that's why Satan picked the snake. Because it, it wouldn't come across as something yucky the way we know what we think of snakes now. He said, be as shrewd as a snake. I mean, you're going to be going out like a sheep with wolves ready to attack. So you have to be as shrewd as a snake. And so I went in and searched about kind of what a snake is like. And if I can deprogram myself and just take the snake for what it is, it is quite wise. And it knows how to maneuver. I mean, that snake can get in the littlest of crevices. And have you ever heard about a snake getting something and then no one can find it? So he's saying, I want you, I think what that really means is you have got to use your head. You've got to be wise. You've got to know you can't just be apathetic and say, oh, well, that's, the Lord will take care of me. I mean, you've got to use your head. There's times when you go and there's times when you don't go. Use your head, be wise. But then when you do go, then be as innocent as a dove. And, and the picture of a dove that I thought of, again, being just in Matthew, and when Jesus was baptized, remember when the Holy Spirit came like a dove? And whenever you see the dove, that is symbolic of God's Spirit. And I think he's saying, be wise and make sure you are so totally under the Holy Spirit's control. Then I know you'll be fine. It doesn't say you need 17 years of seminary and you need, you need all this. No, you just go use your head and let the Spirit take over. And you will then, in fact, he promises, I'll give you what it takes to do it. He's going to say that in a minute. Okay, and then again, another warning. Be on your guard. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local council, flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. 
But when, you, but when they rest, you do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. If ever you needed a verse to highlight and to star about that question that every one of us have, could I be able would I be able to stand up there? And I think all of us have, have lived and are aware of the most unusual places that when he says, be on your guard, I am sure without a doubt that Columbine, when that little gal was shot to death because he said, do you believe in Jesus? And she said, yes. When I think of that Bible study in Georgia, when I think of that church in Texas, when I think of the Jewish synagogue just recently, I think Jesus is saying in Matthew 10, I hope this doesn't happen, but you know what? We live in this kind of world, and I want you ready because you just don't know. So because we heard it enough, we think, oh, could I, what would I say? Would I recant? Would I say nothing? Would I just shirk away and hope that they didn't see me? Or would I be very proud and non ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. And right here he says, you know what? Don't even worry about it because the spirit of God won't even be you speaking. You watch strength and courage and your voice come out with a bravery and with an assurance. What a verse for you and I. Just in, just in case it happens, you and I are going to be fine. The Spirit of God is going to be able to work through us in every way so that we will be able to stand firm. And you know, the, the demonstration, the proof of that is Stephen. I mean, here he is just, you know, the church has grown and the apostles can't handle it all. And so they pick seven deacons, you know, choice, choice seven who are willing to, what, wait tables, the Bible says, distribute food to the, to the um, widows, not, not be one of the apostles to be able to stand in front of thousands to preach and be notorious and be well-known and all that. No, they're, they're in the background serving, serving the widows. And the reason these seven were so willing to be able to do that no matter what is because they were full of the Spirit. They were full of wisdom. They were full of faith. And Stephen, they add another one. He was full of grace. And when you are full of those four qualities, I mean, when you're full of the Spirit, that means that there's just no room for self, and so you don't have that battle going on. You're just totally listening to the Holy Spirit, which is giving you wisdom, so no wonder you're full of wisdom and understanding. And so, oh, does Stephen ever prove that? Because when, when they arrest him, they make up lies about him. They say that he's going around putting down Moses. And, of course, oh, boy, the, you know, for the Sanhedrin, you don't put down Moses for anything. So they're just making up all these things. But then they noticed there was something about him. There was a radiancy about him. And they hauled him in, you know. And then, then in, the, in the next chapter, it starts out by saying, they said to Stephen, are these accusations true? And I was waiting for Stephen to say, absolutely not. I never want to say, no, no. Instead, he says, brothers, fathers, listen to me. 
and he starts with Genesis 12. He starts with Abraham, where it all began as far as our redemption goes. And he went on, and then he expounded every detail about Moses. In other words, making such a stand about, about we needed all of that to have what we have now. This was all to bring Jesus, the Savior, here. And then he wraps up, and it is worth your time to read. Just to watch him have the wisdom and to have the spirits leading to help him recall. I mean, he, even was, he was even recalling Amos. When you know that you are being falsely accused and your life is probably in limbo right now, he, you'd think he'd be a little panicked. But he is remembering every detail because it isn't him talking. It's the spirit of the Father working through him. And he has got boldness and strength and wisdom, and he is so sure about what he's saying, so he's got this boldness. And then at the end of his sermon, I mean, he knows he's going down by now. So he just dares let it rip. I mean, he is going to be remembered. He's going to go down saying, I used every moment, every word that I could. He said, you stiff neck. He called him stiff neck. You wouldn't believe them as I, you put him to death. Oh, and of course, you know, they're just getting madder by the minute. And then all of a sudden, Stephen looks up and he watches heaven open and he sees and he starts saying it. He says, I see heaven open and I, the son of man is standing there. And they're so furious. They're gnashing their teeth. Oh, isn't that very um, pleasant idea of religious people? I mean, they're gnashing their teeth. They're so furious. They just can't stand them. They're getting the big boulders ready to go. Because he is saying things, I'm sure he's pricking their heart, and but they absolutely have a choice right then, and they choose to say no. And then when they start hurling the stones, then he looks, and this is where the full of grace comes in, because he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Does that sound like anybody you know? And Stephen is just a normal man like you and I. And so that just gives me proof and courage and assurance that if and ever it happens, that I should work harder at being full of the spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, and full of grace, because then I don't even have to give this another thought. Because he lives, I face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds a future. <clears throat> and that makes life so worth the living. You get up every morning knowing that. You don't really even care what's on the news. And then he goes on to say, brother will betray brother to death. And a father is child. Children rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You know, did you ever think that you would live and see that day? I think that's, that's got to be the worst of the worst. When you see brother betraying brother, father, his child, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. We've seen that. We've seen children kill parents. I mean, that's appalling to me. Like I say, it's the lowest of the low. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. 
He's making sure that these 12 and us, we know that you are in war. You are in a battle. We're, we live, I mean, because this is our day. We're living in this. And he says, I want you to know you've got to learn how to live in a day and age like this. Because this is, this, is, this is reality. This is happening all around you. Now, how are you going to handle it? Knowing full well, because blessed are those who are persecuted and insulted for me. He said, Be, beware. I mean, we've already had those lessons. He said, all of you who stand firm to the end. And I still go back to that verse where Paul says, I am Romans 1. Well, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who choose to believe it. And you stand firm on that. You don't waver despite the conditions of the world, despite all the terrible acts that are being committed. You stand firm because you are sure of him to know we will be saved and when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth. Here's another one. I tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, you know, what does that, what does that actually mean? I mean, I had to think about, okay, what about the apostles? You know that all 12 were persecuted. 11 of them were put to death for the cause of Christ. John was put on the island of Patmos as a prisoner so he's saying you know what um however however your life ends you will see the son of man so i'm i'm looking at this thinking like stephen when he was ready to go heavens opened and the son of man was right there before him to me i looked at that thought no matter whether the lord comes before I die or whether I die I will see the son of man first of all you will not finish going through this life without making sure that this that you will before the son of man comes you will when this life for you is over whether Jesus comes or whether I die I will see Jesus first I don't know about you. I, I love that thought. I love that thought that the next thing, my next breath will be seeing Jesus. My last breath here, oh, my last breath here will be, will be seeing Jesus for my next breath. <laughs> he said, I want you to live in that hope instead of worry and fear and panic because then he's going he's gonna to go and explain a little more. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is, not, it is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. He's pretty much saying, you know what? I'm the teacher and I'm the master. You are the student and you are the servant. Now, you can never be me or go above me. It's okay for you to be to strive to be like me. But I want you to know that you will never be above me. And he says, if these things are going to happen to me, they're going to happen to you. 
Just be aware. In fact, I, I went back to our lesson a couple weeks ago when the Pharisees accused Jesus. It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So that made sense to me when it says, if the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So Jesus says, I want you to get to know me, and I want you to get to know how to handle sufferings and that there's, it's going to be tough, and I want you to not be surprised when it happens because if it happened to me, it's going to happen to you. So another big warning sign, and so it doesn't throw us off when all of a sudden we're hit with a persecution or an insult or when someone says something or when we're, we're, when we're mistreated or misunderstood or all that kind of thing. He's, don't be surprised. If they did it to Jesus, they're going to do it to you. And then he says, so don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. In other words, he's saying, uh, don't be afraid of them because don't think for a second that this is getting by me. And I, I referred back to Moses and the Israelites when, when God said to Moses, I hear their cries. I see their pain. I've heard their groanings. And now I'm going to do something about it. For, for us to know that everything, injustice, unfairness that we have to go through, he said, I want you to know it's not going without being seen by me. I know. And then he said, what I tell you, I, in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. In other words, don't be afraid of this. Don't be afraid of truth. Don't be afraid to stand up. And again, I reiterate Paul's word, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Boy, does he ever put us in perspective here, doesn't he? Because how much, how much time and effort do we put into these bodies, achieving in this body, um, making ways, headways in this body, achieving all. We, we are so consumed with this life and this body, and it takes so much of our time and effort. And, and he said, don't be so concerned about those who can kill this body. They can't kill your soul. If you're my child, there isn't anything or anyone that can snatch you from my father's hand. You're fine. You're going to be fine. You just got to get over the fact that this body is so important. Your soul, your soul, the part that will live forever. He said, rather be afraid of the one, capitalized one, which means him, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. That's a line. I would be a little bit more concerned, he says, about taking care of your heart and spending time making sure that that heart is the real thing and that you're growing and maturing in the Lord, that you're getting to know Jesus better, that this Bible is not a book that, that you don't know, but it's a book you do know. And that takes time and effort and work, priorities. Because I remember a verse in Revelation where it says, Jesus holds the key to Hades. 
Oh, he holds the key to Hades. And what he means is he holds the key. It's all about him. You believe in him, he holds the key to keep you out. If you don't believe in him, he holds the key to open up hell and put you in. He holds the keys to our body and our soul. He said, I'd be a little bit more concerned about caring about that one instead of so consumed about your earthly body. And this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth far more to him than many sparrows. I mean, he's given us, I mean, he's given us some tough teaching about, okay, maybe somebody's going to come and kill you. Yeah, Lori. Right, that's a. Well, no, I think you're thinking way too hard there. I think what he's trying to say here is two sparrows because you 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 nailed it really, Lord. You said you said um what what's with the two sparrows? They are I mean there's nothing in creation that's worthless, but the sparrows don't have a whole lot of use. You know, they aren't and I think that's the purpose of why he uses that. I know you've got the mindset that, you know, sparrows, you know, they're, they're, you know, not that big a deal. They are God's creatures, but in our human, because they don't have a a set job to do, a a big job. See how we put the big jobs, you know, they're not a robin. They're not a cardinal, you know, they're, they're just a simple little sparrow, you know. And I think he picks that on purpose to show us that if anybody thinks that they are not worth it, if they think that their life does not count for anything, they just, I think Jesus is saying, don't ever think. Because how many people suffer from that? They look in the mirror and they think that they're a hopeless cause. They think that they can't possibly measure up to. And they get so down and defeated and discouraged and despair. And there they sit in their corner. And he's saying, would you look, if I care about two sparrows, and if one falls to the ground, I know, and I care, because they're my creature. No matter what you think, you are worth it to me. I think that is the bottom line in this whole demonstration, is he says, I want you to know, in case you are battling with that worth thing, I want you to know you are worth it to me. I, I am willing to do all of this for every one of you, no matter how much you think so down of yourself. You are worth it to me. Get your head back up. Look at yourself as, as one of my children. I am a child of God. Yep, and that's the new, a new version of what I think an old song was, I'm a child of the king. You remember that old song? And now we've got the new version of I'm a child of God. And I think the feeling is the same. And by saying that, you should see your worth. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Oh, I Hope that you stopped there and thought about that. We've been talking about rewards. Remember, those who have been insulted for my sake, great is your reward in heaven. You know, blessed are you if you've been persecuted for my sake. We've been talking about what could be his reward to us. I don't think a greater reward in my book would be 
for to for for Jesus to be able to go to his father and say, "Oh, here's Edna. Do you know that she did this for me? I called her to do a job. Look at Hilda. Look at look. Let me let me, and you, know, you know the father knows, but to be acknowledged from Jesus to the father, this is what she did for me. I called her to do a mundane job, maybe." She didn't get a whole lot of recognition here, but Father, she obeyed and she did it. Oh, do you think there's any acknowledge? Do you think that there's any greater reward when Jesus acknowledges you before His Father? To me, that's the ultimate reward. But then He spins that and says, "But whoever disowns me before men, oh, they don't—they're too embarrassed. They don't want anybody to think that they're so religious. Oh, they don't want anybody to reject them. They just want to blend right in. They just want to compromise so that no one knows that they're." Ah, oh, He said, "You disown me, I will disown you before my Father." Do not suppose that I come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I'm sure that threw you. I mean, because you want to think that Jesus came to bring peace. Oh, he did. He came to bring peace to you, to me. He came to bring peace individually. When we get to know him, then we, then we are given peace. But when it comes to bring, bring a peace to the world, there would be peace in the world if everybody had peace in their heart. It all stems from the heart of man. But that's why he said, it is not, no, my message, if people say no to my message, it's just going to throw havoc among people. Man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. There, there's going to be such division. There's going to be such discord. There's going to be so, because you're on two different paths. So, you know, he's trying to get you to see, I didn't come. No, I came to bring a sword because those who say yes and those who say no, there's going to be conflict. Those who accept me, yeah, that, then, then yeah, they get along because they're on, on one path. But those who reject that, if let's say, a, a, you know, a father and a son, a, um, a, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. I guess the, the only way I can explain it is that um, I, I have two brothers and my middle brother, Ross, and he, he doesn't care. He says that I can tell this story. Um, he, um, he, he got himself into a lot of trouble and um but, uh, and I wonder why, you know, my brother Scott and I, we always got along. I mean, we, we just did. I mean, it's typical siblings, of course. But Ross and I, we just were always on the outs with each other. I mean, we just never, I mean, he was the one. I mean, he couldn't stand the attention that I got. He couldn't stand me singing our children's Bible. Or he couldn't stand to have to go. He couldn't stand to go to a different church. He would be under the pew. If someone said to him, are you Linnell's brother? No. I mean, he, he couldn't stand it. And we never got along. Even when we, as we grew up, we just didn't get along. And I just, you know, I really didn't know why for the longest time. But now I do, I get it. We were on totally different paths. We had totally different priorities. He got into a lot of trouble. He ended up having to, I mean, he was at the bottom of the barrel. He got, remember we've been talking to the word desperate? He got desperate. And that's exactly where the Lord wanted him. And he responded to Jesus as his Savior. His life changed. And, I, you know, a week ago we were um, in Ann Arbor for our nephew's wedding, his son, 
And I just couldn't keep my hands off my brother. And he felt the same way. There was such a love going on. And I was so grateful I was in this lesson because I thought, yeah, I can't believe we get along so well. I can't wait for Thanksgiving. I can't wait that, that their family will be there. I can't wait to see them again. And if you would have said I would have said that years ago, I wouldn't have believed it for anything. Because there wasn't one thing we agreed on. It's when you get on the same path. And when you get on the same path, you have the same vision. You have the same goals. You have the same assurances. You have the same purpose. So I saw it with my own eyes. I lived it. And then I saw, I, I couldn't believe how much I loved him last week. And I hadn't thought about that. But this lesson made me think about it. Yeah, why are we getting along so good these last years? Yeah, because we're on the same path finally. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I don't think that's hard to understand. I think what Jesus is saying there, I want to be number one. He says, I just want to make sure. Because you know what? People can become idols in our life. If someone in your life, if you've got someone in your life that you think, I can't possibly live without. Now, of course, it's painful to lose them. It's painful to lose anybody that you love. But if you've got a, if you've got a grip, a hold on somebody, and you think there's no way I could ever live without them, you have, you have developed a God, a little G, God. And that's what he's talking about here. You've got to make sure that there is no one in your life that takes God's place. Because he says, I am God and there is none other. Whoever lose, whoever finds his life, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever finds his life, what does that mean? You find life. What's the life he's talking about? Him, life in him. You find that life. Whoever finds his life here, well, well, no, I got that wrong. Excuse me. Whoever finds his life here, whoever finds his life here, he was working for um, the position, the whole goal, the whole read. You got all your eggs in one basket. It's all about what you achieve in this life. If you find everything you want, you've attained all your goals. If you obtained all your goals, he said, if you find it and you feel so satisfied, he said, you're going to lose it because all you cared about was me, myself, and I. But he who loses his life for my sake, you lose this earthly life because you find the kind of life he gets. See, he who loses his life here for my sake will find real life. Those who are just so stuck on the things of this world, they're going to miss the abundant life in Christ. And that is something you don't want to miss. But if you dare lose your life here because you know he can use you in life and in death, if you, if you sing I Surrender All, I just, I just have to read you something. Um, Johnny Erickson, I think about how her life was, she had her life all planned and, you know, she, she was ready to find the Olympics and she was ready to, to go for it and, and she was working hard for it and, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, and that, that's why one accident just changed everything. 
But you think about how this woman, through her obstacles, has touched lives. She just found that her cancer is back. But this is what she wrote, and I have to read it to you. You talk about losing your life here to find real life. This is how she's going through it. When I received the unexpected news of cancer from my oncological surgeon, I relaxed. I relaxed and smiled, knowing, knowing that my sovereign God loves me dearly and holds me tightly in his hands. What good is it if we only trust the Lord when we understand his ways? That only guarantees a life filled with doubts. If you know Ann Graham, she um, she just posted something yesterday. She she has ca- breast cancer, and she um, she posted um, her hairdresser shaving her head, and there she is, balder than bald, beautiful Ann Graham. And then they showed how they found a wig that just fit. It just absolutely gorgeous. And to read what she says, I can't wait to see how the Lord is going to use this. See, this is what he's saying. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Because really, you and I have been created for him. Our lives are for him. You think of how we have gotten off the path and made it all about us. And then he says this, this, if anyone even gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, he says, know that you're going to get rewarded. And when, when he said that, anyone who receives a prophet, anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Anyone who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. He's got the prizes all ready to go. He cannot wait to reward us because we were willing to lose our life here to find life with him, knowing that that is the most important gain. And then he says, I just want to make sure you know that every little thing that you do, I see, even if you are willing to give a cup of cold water, because you are mine, you're my disciple, and that's what my disciples do. I tell you the truth. There it is again. Oh, you don't want to miss this. He will certainly not lose his reward. No. What a great lesson. We should be so thankful today. Have a great day.